0: Well, good morning. Again, I think I've already said that once. That's good to see you. If you want to grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 8, as you're finding your place there, I want to welcome uh, Delegate John McGuire with us this morning. So, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I believe you're running for state senate at some point. I've got people. Well, I just want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I appreciate that very, very much. Also, I want to... uh, Inform you that, uh, or really, I want to invite some of you. I, I need about five or seven people after the service, uh, to help with uh, doctoral uh, research. So, a friend of mine, Matt Gowen, I believe he's here, should be here somewhere. There he is, right over here. He might have already cornered some of y'all, but he is writing a dissertation, trying to finish it up, his doctoral degree. And I, I was asked to participate in that because he's doing it on communication and preaching. And so, uh, you guys, five to seven of you, if you could stay after for about 30 to 45 minutes, and he's just got a set of questions he'd like to ask you that would help him to kind of finalize his research. He's already interviewed me and all the other people that he's doing this research on, and, and so that would help us. If you don't have like pressing lunch plans this morning and could give us 30 to 45 minutes, meet us in room 204 uh, back here in this back hallway. Luke chapter 8, I want to speak to you this morning. On the title of "Just Calm in the Storm," we're going to look at a very uh, familiar story in Scripture: as Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and a storm blows up. It happens many times on oceans, on lakes, even. In fact, the Edmund Fitzgerald—you maybe have heard this story—but the Edmund Fitzgerald was a, a freighter. Uh, It was uh, built and launched into the Detroit River uh, June 8th of 1958, uh, possessing an overall length of 729 feet. She and her sister ship, the author B. Homer, became the largest carriers to float and navigate the Great Lakes. But on November 10th, 1975, after 17 years on the lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald, having left Duluth, found herself in the worst storm in the last 30 years. There on Lake Superior, gale winds were being clocked at over 800. 80 miles per hour, and gusts were reaching an incredible 96 miles per hour. Waves were running 30 feet high. Can you imagine being out there in any sort of vessel with 30 feet high waves? Men on the lake later recalled how the wind up in the rigging system sounded, and I quote, like dozens of air raid sirens all going off at once. The waves were pounding the ships, and they described it as a hundred wrecking balls, all banging on the steel plates of the hulls. Mountainous waves crashed over the freighter. It would send the, the, the wave of water 600 feet down the, the top of the deck of the ship. Shortly after 7 o'clock that day, in the looming darkness, Edmund Fitzgerald's long hull bent and then the next wave came and it bent even further, and then the hull snapped like a broken bone. Her two great pieces now sitting there, wallowing in the water for just a moment before plunging 500 feet to the bottom of Lake Superior, landing just 170 feet apart from one another. Some say the breakup happened in 10 short seconds, and so think about that. 30-foot waves, in one instant, the ship is there and battling against those waves, those three-story tall waves, and the very next moment, the ship is gone. It's hard to imagine a, uh, how horrific that scene must have been for the sailors on board the Edmund Fitzgerald. Battling wind and waves like that would terrify the most seasoned of sailors. I don't know where I'd be if I was in the midst of that storm. huddled down the hull, screaming for heavens to come down and save me. You add to the horror of that, the fact that the ship was breaking apart, and you cannot imagine a more dreadful experience. And so while most of us, perhaps even all of us in this room, will never experience something like that, there are times in our lives where we feel like the waves and the wind of our life is hitting us in such a way that we feel like everything is sinking, like we are in the midst of the tumultuous seas. So, what we regarded as normal. Is now breaking apart. The very foundations we have built our lives upon are crumbling before our eyes. Good things in our lives like family and friends and finances and futures all seem to be spiraling out of control, down and out. It's in these tumultuous seas that we often wonder where God is. Perhaps even right now as I kind of set this scene, you're thinking about a moment in your life or a season in your life where things were spiraling out of control and you in that moment were wondering, where is God in all of this? Where is the God who says he loves me? Where is the God who promises to be with me? You see, when the storm is raging, we long for peaceful waters and many times we will lament that God has seemingly failed us because we are sinking down and down and down. We feel this way because a a particular end or a desired goal has not been met in our life. And it's there that this question, uh, or there in this moment, I believe there's a question that we ought to consider for ourselves. Here's the question. Could it be that God's goal was never the same as mine? As I think about my life and you think about your life and and the goals that you have, the aspirations that you have, the things that you believe that the Lord wanted for you, could it be that it was your goal and it was never his goal? And so when those things don't work out and they spiral out of control or they crumble into nothing, and we wonder where is God in all of this, it could be that that was never his end from the beginning. And so what was going on here? I believe it's in these moments where we're challenged to think about what is the actual goal. Oswald Chambers, I saw this this past week, a couple weeks ago, actually. I was actually getting ahead in the study and preparation, and I came across Oswald Chambers, uh, what he said in his devotional, "My My utmost for His Highest. Many of you, I'm sure, read him on a regular basis. I believe this is on the screen for you. Look what he says. He says, We are apt to imagine that if Jesus Christ constrains us and we obey him, he will lead us to great success. We must never put our dreams of success as God's purpose for us. His purpose may be exactly the opposite. God is not working towards a particular finish, His end is the process. That I see Him walking on the waves, no shore in sight, no success, no goal, just the absolute certainty that it is all right because I see Him walking on the sea. God's end is to enable me to see that he can walk on the chaos of my life just now. Oswald Chambers here is making the point that that we're going to see in this text this morning that God's goal for your life is not many times what we think it is. That it's this one particular thing. God's goal for our life is the process of just moving back and forth through the struggles and the strains of life. That we would learn to grow in the Lord, not because we're achieving something spectacular, but because we're seeing him in the difficulties of life. I wonder, do you see the Lord like that today? Do you see him walking in the chaos of your life just now, bringing calm in the midst of the storm? Hey, feeling overwhelmed and fearful is commonplace in this fallen world. Why? Because we have this inner default, this distrust of the Lord. And so when things don't go as we planned or things don't go as we would like for them to, we immediately, our default position is to no longer trust the Lord. It is, however, not what the Lord would have for us. It's not what is best for us. Instead, what the Lord wants to see and believe wants us to see and believe is that He alone can peacefully walk on the storms of the chaos of our lives. The end goal for our lives is just that, that we would trust Him in the midst of hardship. His process for achieving this goal involves tumultuous ways it involves tumultuous winds it involves storms and hardships and difficulties and all of the things that i'll be honest i would rather do without i would rather do without pain and suffering and, and and hardship and loss i would rather for everything to be wonderful living on life on the beach somewhere even though that's not my place but i know that jives with a lot of you beach going people all right beach going folks that's where you'd like to live life. You want your feet up. You want a nice cool breeze in your in your face, and you want some sun beating down. And you want all of life to look like that. But have you been outside this weekend? This is glorious weather, right? This is my kind of weather. We all have our preferences. We all want life to be easy, but God uses the hard as instruments to teach us to trust and to rest in him. So Luke chapter 8, let's get to what the gospel says. Verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, "Let us cross or let us go across to the other side of the lake." So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Luke here describes in this account how Jesus and the disciples got into a boat and crossed, or at least the plan was cross to cross to the other side of the lake. And they were going to continue preaching the kingdom. We're going to see that as he moves forward in his gospel. Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. This is a large lake. It's about five miles wide. It's 13 miles long. It's right there in the northern part of the Israel area, the northern Palestinian area. It's a beautiful scene there on the Sea of Galilee. Inland lakes, much like the Sea of Galilee, these these freshwater lakes have a tendency, a unique tendency, to be very volatile. Uh, That is because they don't have the normal rhythms that you would find at the ocean. One of the reasons you love the beach so much is because that that wave comes in at a rhythm. I mean, you're laying there on the beach and it feels nice, the weather's good, the wind's nice in your face, and it just kind of lulls you to sleep. If you go to the Sea of Galilee today, you will find waves. If you go to the Great Lakes today, you will find waves that come in and out, but they don't have the... The the same rhythmic pattern as the oceans do. In fact, many times they can be contradictory. Also, when you look at these lakes, they're vulnerable to the geography that's around them, unlike the oceans. The oceans surround the land, but a lake is surrounded by the land. So the topography of the surrounding areas can cause these temperature inversions, which causes violent changes within the weather. And then you add to that the smaller sides of the lake gives a sense of false security, a false sense of safety. So the Sea of Galilee can be perilous because of the topography that surrounds it. There are all kinds of imposing mountains, which for those of us who would go there and see it like some of us did earlier this year, it's absolutely beautiful. You can stand up on the western side of Mount Arbel, which is this giant peak that just has these gorgeous cliffs coming off of it and you're looking down upon the Sea of Galilee and it's wonderful and beautiful to look at but it also because of those deep ravines allows for temperature changes to flow down to the, to the lake causing mighty storms to erupt so it's dangerous to be out on the water at times. Ultimately you are 700 feet below sea level. All of that combining can cause these monstrous Storms. And that is precisely the case as Jesus and the disciples were attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the synoptic gospel writers, record that Jesus, as they were crossing the water, was sleeping when the storm hit. That may strike us a little odd, that Jesus would be asleep in the boat while you were in the midst of the most perilous season of your life, and yet that's where he was in the boat He was sleeping hard because he had worked hard that day. Ministry had taken its toll on his body physically. Ministry had taken its toll on his mind and and, and the things that he was doing. It had taken its toll probably on the words that he was speaking. So here we have the Logos, the Word of God, as a man probably had a cap. Can I get an amen from some of the men? You use all your words at work. And you come home at 5 o'clock, and you have no more words to use, right? And so you just want to go in, sit down, and talk to nobody. But you got kids and a wife that want to chatter. And so you got to give them some time, right? So here we have Jesus, the Logos, tired, exhausted. He's on the lake. The waves are lulling him to sleep. And he, as the God-man, goes to sleep. As he went to sleep, a storm arose, such a violent storm that these seasoned sailors began to fear for their own lives. The boats are taken on water. They wake Jesus, and he stands up and commands, saying, Peace be still, and the waters are calm. Jesus asked his disciples a question Why are you afraid? Mark gives us even more clarity there. He says, where is, or where, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And then the disciples even gave him a, a, an accusational type of statement. Did you not care that we are perishing? So there's this interchange that goes on here all of this, we see that the disciples had not yet learned that Jesus alone could peacefully walk amidst the chaos of their lives. They were fearful because they didn't yet learn how to trust him with everything in their life. And so when there was something that was outside of their control, rather than trusting in Jesus and not being fearful, they're overcome with fear. Moreover, I bet many of us here today are equally fearful in our own lives because we have not yet learned fully How to trust the Lord in our lives. And so for this reason, I want us to look at this passage and learn from it that the storms we fear are God's divinely appointed instruments to teach us to trust and to be at rest. And so as we seek to understand what the Holy Spirit's teaching us here today, I want us to see three realities of what is, and then I want us to talk about three realities that need to be, things that need to be in our lives. First of all, three realities of what is. Number one, the Lord pilots his people into storms. The Lord pilots his people into storms. Why were the disciples in the boat that day? Look at verse 22. What did Jesus say? Let us go across to the other side. The disciples were in the boat because Jesus was continuing, Luke 8, 1. They were continuing to preach the kingdom in these towns and villages. So he's now leading them down into the boat. Mark tells us that there's more than just one boat. And so they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, all of them together, because Jesus directed them, piloted them into what would become a storm. And so as they moved across this lake, Jesus falls asleep. The God-man is tired. He's exhausted. But in all of this, I want you to never think that Jesus didn't know what was coming. He might have been lulled to sleep. He might have went to sleep. But there was never a moment that he did not know what lay ahead. He knew the storm was coming. And I believe he intentionally piloted the boat into the very heart of the storm. And so just as the Lord led these disciples into that storm on the Sea of Galilee, today he leads you and I into our own storms of life. Jesus pilots you into those storms of life. He's not setting up in heaven thinking, man, I wish I would have seen that coming. Or I didn't have any idea that that was going to happen in their life. He's never surprised by that. Two plus years ago, as we as a church believed God to move out and build a building so we could repurpose space and then renovate this space, we had no idea that this thing called COVID was coming, right? That was literally going to shut down the world. I'm still angry about it, by the way. We had no idea. I told you this a few weeks ago, I think, but I called a a number of friends of mine, pastors who have built millions of dollars worth of buildings, and I asked them, should we go on with this? And every one of them would say something like this, no, I wouldn't do anything for the foreseeable future. I wouldn't do anything until the economy gets more secure. And so as an elder board, we wrestled with that, we prayed through that, we talked with you as a church, and we decided to put that on pause. But finally, two months later... We came back and said, the Lord put this in our heart, and he knew these things were coming. COVID did not surprise him. And so we stepped out and believed God for what he had put in our heart to do. And up till now, everything is working out, just as it planned. God is faithful. God sees, and God leads us into those difficult seasons of life. They are his instruments to teach us how to trust and how to rest in him, how to see him walking on the chaos of our lives. Number two, the Lord is present with his people in the midst of the storms. Not only does he pilot us into the storm, but he's with us in the midst of the storms. It's sobering here to remember that God pilots his people, but it's even more sobering to think about the fact that he is present. It'd be one thing to say, you know what? I think you should go that way, but walk away, not go with you on the journey. But that's not what the Lord does. Many of these disciples who were with him in the boat were professional fishermen. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee. So they knew the boat. They knew the layout of the water. They knew what the weather would do. They had experienced all of this. And yet on this particular day, this storm was so fierce, so strong, that they were fearful of their very lives. They're coming to Jesus saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Do you not care that we are perishing? So these professionals did not know what to do. Humanly speaking, they were right for being scared because they were about to die. And in that moment, they cried out to the very one, the only one who could help them. They cried out to Jesus. And yet Mark adds this question of allegation. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, there is an element of them An element of their mind, an element of their heart that was not yet fully sanctified where they didn't fully trust the Lord. God, did you you lead us out here to kill us? It sounds a whole lot like Israel once God led them out of Exodus and they're now moving across toward the promised land. And they face all these hardships and they're thinking, did you bring us out of here to kill us? We're we're at the banks of the Red Sea. Did you bring us here, Moses, for God to kill us? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? You get out through the the, the river there, the, the Red Sea. You get on the other side of that miracle, which you would think would cause great faith in their life. And again, God, did you bring us out to the wilderness to kill us with no food? Did you bring us out here to kill us with no water? That's where we are as human beings. We have this default position of not trusting the Lord. But over and over in Scripture, what we see is God leads us into the storms, but he's with us in the storm. So it's good that, in on one sense, the disciples recognized Jesus' presence there in the storm because they went to him. But in another sense, they misinterpreted his presence to mean that they would never face such a fierce storm. Why do we think that being a follower of Jesus Christ means that everything is easy in our life? Or is it just because we want it to be that way? And I said it earlier I'd like for everything to be dandy, right? I'd like for every part of your, my, my life and your life to be wonderful and easy and, and smooth, no hardship, no difficulties, no pain, no suffering. But that's not the way it is on this side of the return of Christ. On this side of the return of Christ, there's always going to be hardship because we still live in a world that's cursed by sin. And we still live in a body that's, that's battling this thing called the flesh. And so we're always going to be in a pickle. We always need Jesus to be with us in the midst of storms. So his presence does not promise clear sailing, but listen to this. It does ensure that we have a captain at the helm who can pilot us safely through the storm. There's a third thing, a third reality of what is. The Lord has power over the storms. You see, the storm that swept down upon the Sea of Galilee that day, it was real and it was dangerous. And if Jesus had not been in the boat, the disciples would have likely drowned as their ships sunk. Sunk had an opportunity, those of us who were in Israel a few months ago, uh, there on the banks of the Sea of Galilee to actually see a a boat that they had found in the mud uh, a few decades ago. And so they've put that thing back together. It's all in one piece. It's beautiful. It's incredible. But you're, it allows you to see the size of the boat, the type of vessel that would have crossed the Sea of Galilee. And so we're not talking about the, uh, the, the boat I was mentioning earlier. It's not this monstrous uh, sea vessel. No, it's a 18 to 26 foot long boat somewhere in that neighborhood. It can have several people on it, but it's not this monstrous boat. So you can see how the waves would have come over it and sunk it. Probably the boat we are able to see had been sunken by a storm just like that and washed ashore and buried under the mud. But in all of this, we see Jesus has power over the storm. They ask him to wake up. They entreat him to engage into this storm. And he just speaks a word. And immediately there's calm in the midst. It says that he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased and there was a calm. For us today, we need to realize that the storms of our lives are real. And they are dangerous. And without the presence and the help of Jesus in our lives, many times those storms will take us down. They'll destroy us. With Jesus, however, you can be saved. doesn't mean you're not going to go through the storm. doesn't mean you're not going to experience the hardship of the storm. But Jesus can speak a word over that storm, and it can instantaneously be calm everywhere in your life. But listen to this. Many times, the calm that the Lord brings is not a cessation of the storm. What is it? He calms the storm within you. He doesn't always cause the things that are around you to stop spiraling out of control. And all of a sudden there's there's this glass, crystal clear glass upon the seas of your life. That's not always. Rarely, in fact, is that what he does. But he can calm the storm that's within your own heart. He can give you an inner peace that you can't even understand. See, the Lord can speak and bring calm into your life. I hope that we've learned during our battle with COVID the last couple of years, I'm going to say some stuff here in just a moment, not political, not pointing fingers at anybody. Uh, just, I, I just want to speak to us as believers that say we believe in God. But over the last two and a half years, we had so many people, Christian and non-Christian, absolutely scared to death over COVID. We were masking up and gloving up and uh, wearing two and three masks and bathing and hand sanitizer. I mean... We were doing all of that, largely because we were being told to do that, right? That's what we were hearing. We, we were not going to Thanksgiving dinner like we will this week. We weren't doing Christmas with people. We were not having people over at our houses. Our schools were not meeting. We were doing all of that because we wanted to, to, to protect ourselves from an unseen thing that we could not understand and didn't know what to do with. We were scared. And so we played along. I would argue that we didn't do much of, what, much of anything that really helped, but we played along because that's what we were told to do. But as a believer, I hope that we've learned that nothing can harm your life unless the Lord has first allowed for it. Nothing can harm your life, touch you, unless the Lord has first allowed it. I'm not telling you if you want to wear a mask you should wear a mask. I'm not telling you if you don't want to glove up. You do what you want to do. Here's what I want to tell you. As a follower of Jesus Christ who believes the Bible, and where we see that God is with us in the midst of the storm, and he can bring calm in the midst of that storm, whatever that is, if we believe that, then we should never fear the thing that's raging all around us. In our Bible reading yesterday, Luke 12, 25, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? We can fret all day long about what may happen or could happen or whatever, but it can and will not do anything to add or subtract to your life. Because here's what we know. God has numbered your days. God knows everything about your life. God, I even read this morning, he knows the number of hairs on your head, which for me, that's getting easier for him. So why would I fear? God has power over the storms. I hope we have learned that in recent years. Three realities of what needs to be. Coming out of that, what needs to be in my life? Number one, a calm assurance of God's goodness. You see, the disciples here questioning whether Jesus cared or didn't care about their situation. Master, master, we're perishing. Do you not care that we are perishing? They question his goodness in this. Why? Because they're in a violent storm, and they didn't know if God could actually hand it. Or better yet, they didn't know if God wanted to handle it. God, is your, are you good? If you're good, I can't imagine you allowing me to go through this. And yet we see over and over in Scripture that he does, in fact, pilot us through very difficult seasons of our life. But we still wonder, why would God ever allow this to come touch me? I'm the child of God. I I am the offspring of faith. I'm the, the recipient of grace. Why would God who put his affection on me ever want to bring harm or allow harm to come to me as his son or his daughter? And yet you read scripture and that's always what happens. Again, it goes back to that's not his end goal. His end goal is not for you to have an easy life. His end goal is for you to have a faithful life. To learn to trust him and to believe him. You see, God loves you so much that he will cause you to face difficulty for your own long-term good. And we need to remember that. God has the end, the real end in mind. He wants what's best for you long-term. He's not looking for right here. Those of us who have kids, we understand this. Kids always want to live for the now, right? I want it now. I want it my way. And so when we have Fall festivals, and we go trick-or-treating, and we get these piles of candy in our house. We want to kind of ration that out as parents. We don't want them to just, you know, load up on 5 billion calories of sugar on night one because we want them to actually go to sleep that night. So we want to ration that thing out. What do they want to do? They want all of it right now, instantaneous. We're looking down the road. Now let's kind of space this out. Hey, your teacher's at school. They could use some of this candy. So we pawn it off to the teachers so they can use it in their their boxes for good kids throughout the year, so we don't have to deal with that. But we're looking way down the line, but our kids don't understand that. We're just like that. The Lord sees what he wants to happen or or, or accomplish in our lives, and he's moving us to that end. We can only see right here in front of us and what we want to happen or what we want life to be like. When it doesn't happen that way, we question and wonder about the goodness of God. We see here that God in his goodness pilots us into areas of struggle for our own growth and our own development. So I wonder this morning, do you rest in the goodness of God? You get that cancer diagnosis. Can you actually honestly say, God is good in this? I don't understand what I'm going to do. I don't understand the steps that I'm going to need to take. I don't understand why I'm going to have to face the struggle of chemo and radiation and surgery or whatever the thing's going to be, but can you honestly say, God, you are good in this. And I don't really grasp all of it, but I believe and know and are certain that you're good. That's where we have to be as believers. That's where faith calls us. When the storm is raging all, around, all around us, can we and are we at peace knowing that God is good? Number two second reality of what needs to be in our life is a confident understanding of God's power. You see, when Jesus stood and calmed the wind and the waves, the disciples were awestruck. Verse 25, they were afraid and marveled. Who is this guy that even controls the wind and the seas? How could he control the weather? Today, you and I also stand in awe and marvel over how he pilots us through our own storms. See, the very thing that seemed hell-bent to sink us, we look back on and we understand that Jesus was there on our behalf. He overcame for us. When that happens, we are overwhelmed and amazed by God. And this is a good thing. And on some some level, we should never lose that. We should never lose that that awestruck, that marvel over the goodness of God and the power of God and, and how he's worked miraculously in our lives. On the other hand, as we faithfully trust the Lord to pilot our lives through the storms of life, we should develop an increasing confidence in his power. That we're not just like, wow, I didn't think he could do that, but he did it. We should be like, I don't understand how he did it but i knew he would because he's been faithful in the past one of the benefits you have this right here is so that you hopefully don't have to learn some of the lessons that these people had to learn you see i can read the story that i just described earlier from exodus where the people of god saw god do 10 miraculous plagues against the egyptians and yet they still get to the bank of the red sea and say did you bring us out here to kill us what a dumb question of course, they didn't bring you out here to kill you, and that's why how the Lord—I love how it says—through uh, Moses, obviously. Moses basically says to the people, "If you will just—and kids, excuse this expression—you should never use this expression at your home. If you would just shut up and sit down and watch God do what God does. If we we'll learn that lesson by reading the Scripture and not have to experience it ourselves, man, life would be so much easier." And so thankfully, we have a history of God's faithfulness and goodness, and we have a history of, of experiencing God's faithfulness and goodness in our own lives, so that little by little, we're storing up and building up this, this understanding that God is good and God is powerful, and I'm confident in that. So when the, steam, the, the storms of life are, 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 are raging around me, I'm not taken back. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not wringing my hands and wondering what's going to happen next. I'm just calmly sitting there watching Jesus walk in the chaos of my life. Number three, a reality that needs to be in your life is a consistent welcoming of God's trials. It flows out of those two other thoughts. As I understand God's goodness and I understand God's power, and I'm confident in that, more and more I I should be welcoming these trials. See, the Lord wants us to see and to believe that He alone can peacefully walk on the chaos of our lives. And storms, then, are God's activity, those appointed instruments to teach us to trust and to rest in him. So we ought to learn to welcomely gaze at the oncoming storm with an anticipation of what we will learn about God. Not that we're like, man, I'm excited today. I get to go suffer for Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about a, a, a strangeness. But it's a calm understanding that says, you know what? I don't really want to go through this, but I understand the benefit. And God is good. God is going to be with me. He's powerful. And so I am in the best position I could ever be in. So bring it on. I welcome it. I want to go for it. Rather than being fearful of what's coming or what you're experiencing we ought to welcome God's gracious instrument to further our sanctification. This welcoming of trials is going to require a change of perspective, though. See, you're not going to, you're no longer going to be able to welcome, or you're not going to be able to welcome them if you do not wholeheartedly believe God to be good in your life. So you've got to change the perspective there. You're going to have to, uh, change your perspective because you're going to have to believe God is sovereign over all things and, and trust him with all of that. You're going to have to understand that he's piloting, but he never sends us alone. That he really is what Psalm forty six one says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. That he is the refuge that we run to. He is the refuge that we take solace solace in. That we're leaning into Jesus, trusting in Jesus. As we think about that great ship, the Edmund Fitzgerald, with its size and the longevity that it had on the Great Lakes, it really did seem to be invincible. It had probably uh, weathered many difficult, dangerous storms in its 17 years of service. And yet, on November 10th, 1975, that great ship met its match upon the waves of Lake Superior. Too often, we too feel like, we've met our own match upon the waves of life. You've run that race, you've been down that trail, and you just feel overwhelmed. And we wonder, why would God allow this? Does he love me? Does he not care about me? Has he forgotten me? Has he forsaken me? All of those questions have one answer, one reverberating answer from Scripture. And it's this, he is always with you. He always loves you. He never leaves you. And he cares deeply about you. That is who God is. And so Christians this morning, don't make the mistake or don't mistake the struggles and the hardships of your life for God's absence or neglect. Here's what I know about the Christian life. Sometimes it may feel that God is not there, but the truth is he's always there. And so we don't run on feelings, we run on faith. We don't run on how I feel about something or how I emotionally connect with something. We go on, what does the word of God say about this? And what it says, I'm going to take to the bank. I'm going to build my life on. I'm going to lay that as my foundation and build everything else upon it. Because that is true. And my feelings about something, though they may be credible at times, they are not always, in fact, rarely are they reliable. Peace is often hard to find in our lives, is it not? When you think about all the things that hits us, the wind and the waves that are hitting us all the time, pounding us and taking shots over and over again, we feel like it's never going to cease. That Peace is never actually there. In fact, I came across a statement this week that I thought was pretty indicative of how we feel at times. Someone once said, and I quote, Peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. That's the way we feel about peace. That everybody's taking their shot, and the only time there's a calm is when everybody else is like, "Oh, you got another mag," you know that sort of thing. For all you non-gun people, that's a thing you put in the book. Forget you pouting. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So the Lord wants us to see and to believe that He alone can peacefully walk on the chaos of our lives. How does He do that? What's the process? He pilots us into storms so that we can watch him in action. He achieves his goal through the tumultuous waves and winds of life. And so we need to remember that he is piloting us. And he remains with us in those storms. He alone has the power over those storms. He can't speak a word, and they are calm. And he will sometimes do that, but we always want him, and he always will speak a word of calmness in our own heart and allow us to pilot us through them. And here's another thing about that as we walk in faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness in the midst of the storms and the struggles and others are watching that, what do you think they're thinking? Now, there's gospel opportunities right there. How could you, after that diagnosis, be so calm? How could you respond in in such a positive way to that? How could you still love that person who spoke that about you or who tried to kill your, your, your witness and your testimony in the community? They tried to tear you down. How could you love them like that? I didn't like what they did or I didn't like that season I was in. I didn't like that situation I found myself in. But you know what? Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I've always found him to be faithful. I know him to be good. I see it in the Bible. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in others. I have all of this history to prove that he is faithful and good. And the Bible tells me he's with me every single moment. And he's with these guys in this storm right here. And so since he's been with them and he's been with me and he's been with others, I believe he's still going to be with me in this situation. So no matter what they said to me or said about me or what thing did to hurt me. I can trust in God because he's walking with me through these storms of life. The chaos is all around me, but Jesus is walking with me. Calm in the storm. This morning, many of us as Christians, we need to be reminded that God is still in control. Our politics or our political agendas didn't get Or go in the direction we might have wanted them recently. And we're wondering, where is America going? I guess it's going wherever the Lord wants it to go. You see, the world, and better yet, let me put it this way. The kingdom of God is not contingent upon the United States of America. The kingdom of God is not contingent upon the Commonwealth of Virginia or Powhatan County, as great as those three entities are. And we love all of them. And we want the best for all of them. But the kingdom of God is bigger and greater than that. And we know, because again, this is holy and right and true, we know those three things will come to an end. It's just a matter of time. One day there will no longer be a United States of America. And if that's not when Jesus returns and it's happened before that, history will say America did a lot of good. But history will also tell us its demise. Why? We can say that about all the other great uh, empires and nations of history. But it's all coming to an end. The only thing that remains is that Savior who's walking on the chaos of your life. right? So we shouldn't get disgruntled or disillusioned or fearful or mad or whatever about what we want to happen when it doesn't happen. We should just say, Lord Jesus, I am in this moment, and I'm trying to walk faithfully to you. Help me to do that. You're good. You're with me. And Lord, I want to walk as such. Help me. Bring calm to my storm. So I don't know where that hits you this morning, Christian, but I believe it's hitting you somewhere. For those of you who are not in a relationship with Jesus, everything we've talked about this morning has... You have no concept of that because you don't have a God who's walking in your in your storm. You don't have a God who's there to bring calm to you because everything in your life is a storm. You're in the storm of sin. You're in the storm of the curse against sin. But you do have a Savior that says, hey, if you'll come to me, right? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So if you will come to me. So this morning, as Christians, you're thinking about how can I faith in Jesus more and believe in Jesus more and walk more faithfully to him, knowing he's my calm assurance in the storm. For you as a non-believer, today. There's three things that you need to do. First of all, you need to realize that Jesus is God. You need to realize that you are sinful, and your sin, number three, separates you from that God who's created you for himself, and in that, be drawn to Jesus Christ, right? God's designed you perfectly for himself. Sin has broken that design, separated you from God, but the beauty is that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is that you can have the relationship with the God you were created to be in a relationship with that comes through Jesus Christ. So, why don't we stand to our feet? A little different this morning. Trevor's going to come, and we're going to sing a song. We're going to respond to the Word this morning. Maybe this morning you need to come and to say, "Lord, I have been at my wit's end," and and you're just kneeling here at the front and saying, "Lord, I need you to be the peace in my life. You're good. You're in my boat." Help me to believe that. And this morning, you need to come and just lay that out before the Lord. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe this morning, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come and say, Pastor, I need Jesus. Yeah, that's all you have to say. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pass you off to one of our elders, one of our other. Leaders who can talk you through the gospel and help you understand how much Jesus loves you and what he wants to do in you and for you. That's the two things that I want to encourage you to respond to this morning. We all are dealing with storms in our life. What's the source of refuge for those storms? It needs to be Jesus. So, Father, this morning we thank you for being faithful and being good. Thank you for this beautiful picture, this story of Jesus. God the Son, in the midst of the storm of life for those disciples. And God, for us, we know you're traveling with us in our own storms. We know you to be good. We know you to be present. We know you to be our help. God, we know that you have power over those storms. We know that you want to bring peace in our lives. And God, I pray for believers today that we would trust you and know your goodness and lean into you. And understand that when everything's raging around us, it doesn't have to be calm, but it needs to be calm in here inside. So, Lord, help us to look to Jesus, lean into Jesus. I pray for those who are not in Christ this morning. They're what Paul says in Ephesians, still dead in trespasses and sin, separated from the God who loves them. Father, this morning, I pray that you would draw them. May the Holy Spirit draw them to faith and repentance this morning. God, I pray for men in this room, women in this room, for teenagers, even children that may be here this morning, that that is what you're speaking into their life. Maybe it's been something you've been speaking for some time now. May this morning be the day that they respond in faith and in repentance. So, Spirit, have your way as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus or if you would like to pray with someone or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.